um, uh, John chapter 4, a uh, very familiar story in John 4. Um, before we get there, we're going to start off in, in Mark 1. So if you were following along, we're going to be starting off in Mark um, chapter 1. We have um, in our life um, defining moments. All of us have time or moments in our life that are just defining, that we are sort of faced with the reality of truth. And it has to be, something has to happen. So we're faced with the reality of something. We're faced with the reality of truth. And that thing needs to be addressed. And whether we run away or shy away or, or realize that, you know, listen, I, I, I either got to deal with this or I got to handle this or I've got to, you know, make, make, I just have to make a decision. And so that's sort of, we have all that, we have these things in life all the time where, you know, we just fa are faced with the reality of it and it has to be addressed. For just a, just a simple example, I, um, a few years ago, moved into the area, um, bought a house on uh, Commerce, Walled Lake, and and uh, we knew going into this house that um, that it was going to need a roof. It was actually one of the negotiation things that we had in the in the process of purchasing the house was we knew that this roof needed to be done. But um, you know how how we are, and probably how you are, is like we're going to try to put this off as long as we possibly can. And so a couple years went by, and uh, I got a phone call one day from my wife saying that there is um, a leak in the kitchen ceiling, and, and, uh, and I'm thinking, this is now a defining moment, right? I've now got to, I went home, assessed the situation. Luckily, it could have been a lot worse than, than it was. Uh, we fixed that, but we realized that when I got into the attic, there was this, this gaping hole in the roof, and, and water was just pouring in. I mean, anytime it rained, water was and I'm telling you, God, because of his grace and kindness, could have been a lot worse. But, um, but we knew at that moment that we couldn't put it off any longer, right? And, uh, and so we had to address it. It's what happens to us in times in life where we're, we're faced with the reality of something, and it now needs to be addressed. It now needs to be taken care of. Well, this is true for us when it comes to our walk with Jesus, that, that sometimes when it comes to our walk with the Lord, if we're a Christian, if we're in our walk with the Lord, that sometimes the realities of the truth of God's word, the realities of the re truth of what God reveals to us in our hearts and minds, that needs to be addressed. And you can either do one of two things. You could ignore it, which is what I did with my roof for a couple of years. I, I saw the problem, but I ignored it. I ignored it. I ignored it. Or you have to come to the decision where you say, okay, I don't know how I'm going to do it, I just got, but I know I have to address this because this is the reality. This is the truth, and now it needs to be addressed. And so this is what we've been sort of talking about over the last couple of weeks, the reality of what we're called to do, what, the reality, the truth of what we're called to be as fully devoted followers of Christ. Now, if you're still sort of checking this thing out, if you're you know, somebody who's you know, still trying to figure out if this Christian thing is, is for me, if this God thing is for me, um, then you're not here in this place. But if you are a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, say, yeah, my, I've given my life to Jesus, I've put my life into his hands, then this is, this is what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, is a reality and it has to be addressed. And uh, you can either shy away from it or avoid it, but the reality is, is that one day it's going to have to come and you have to, you have to deal with it because this is truth. This is what God is saying to us. This is what he says we, we, are, to, we are to be. And, I, and here's a defining moment for the disciples. In Mark chapter number one, there's two accounts of this story. Luke gives a little bit more specifics or a little bit more details. 
Mark is sort of a straight-to-the-point kind of a guy in, in his gospel. But he says this, Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So this is sort of a defining moment for for Jesus. This is a defining moment for the people that are hearing Jesus' message. Like the time is fulfilled. Like in other words, the time is now. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Which means that God is going to do something or God is up to something. That God is on the move and he's he's calling you to to make a decision. He's he's saying to you that that here's an opportunity for you to align yourself. To change your mind. That's what repent means. It means to turn around. It means to change your mind. It means to look at a different perspective. It means to that I've now been faced with the reality of something. I've been now faced with the truth of something. And that now needs to be addressed. And he says, repent, change your mind, turn around. And he says, and believe in the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is, means good news. The good news of the kingdom of God. And by the way, that's good news, that the kingdom of God is at hand. That's good news, that, the, that salvation is now being offered to all people so that they can know what it means to be forgiven and know what it means to have eternal life. That's what it meant. That's what he meant here. And so Jesus is saying, listen, the time is now. This is a moment for you right now. The kingdom of God is at hand. Change your mind. Change your perspective. And believe in the gospel. Okay? And whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, if you are a Christian, this is still for you today. Because there's some things about Christianity. There's some things about being a follower of Jesus that we still haven't quite embraced. We know, the, we know that it's there. We know that something is real and exists, but we're not quite ready to address it. Two years, for two years, I lived in my house knowing this weight of knowing that I needed a new roof. I knew that I could feel the weight of it. I'm waiting for any moment now for me to get that call that I got. Well, I got that call and I knew that, man, this is a moment that now I have to make a decision. For a Christian, this is a moment for you. To make a decision. This is a moment for you to decide. This is what I am supposed to do. This is what I'm called to do. And then it says in verse 16. And he was going along by the sea of Galilee. And he saw Simon and Andrew. The brother of Simon. Casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. Why did he have to include that? I'm not really sure. To me it's obvious. But he wanted to make sure everybody knew that they were fishermen. That's why they were casting a net into the sea. And then it says in verse 17, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become. Now, if, if there could have been a lot of things that Jesus could have said here. There could have been a lot of things that Jesus could have put in here. He says, When you follow me, you're, you're a fisherman. When you follow me, I will make you become happier. I will make you become, he could have said, I will make you become kinder. I will make you become, he could have said, self-confident. I will make you become more comfortable. I will make you become more spiritual. He doesn't say any of those things. Though it would have been nice for him to say those things. I will make you kinder. I will make you more comfortable. I will give you more peace. I will give you, make you become more joyful. Listen, all of those things would have been nice. But that's not what Jesus says here in this defining moment for these fishermen. He says to them, listen guys, I want you to follow me. And when you follow me, here's I will make you become. And look what it says in verse 17. I will make you become fishers of men. 
That's what he says. Of all the things that he could have said there, in this defining moment for these men that came to begin to really follow Jesus. Now, we also, you can also discover through scripture reading that, that these guys have been following Jesus for a while because we defined it last week as it's sort of a, I want to check you out. I'm going to kind of observe. I want to see what it's about. I want to look into what, you know, what it means to, you know, what Jesus is all about. Is he truly who he says he is? Is he truly who he claims to be? That's sort of what it means for a while for, for them to follow Jesus. They were really just observing, seeing what it means to, to be with him, what it means to hang out with people that, you know, that, that, that he's chosen to hang out with. That's sort of what it meant. But after a while, they did this for months. But now here's the defining moment. And Jesus is presenting them, listen, guys, you've been checking me out for a while now. You've been following me. You've been with me. You've been observe, observing some, some things for a while now. But now I will make you become fishers of men. And in that moment, in verse 18, and in that moment, immediately, they were faced with the reality. And the reality is, if you're going to truly be a disciple of Jesus, what he is making you, or what he wants you to become, what he has made you for, is not for you to be happier, which is a part of it, is not to be more peaceful, which is a part of it, it's not to make you more comfortable, but that's a part of it. It's not to make you more spiritual, though it's a part of it. What he's made you for, what he wants you to embrace, what he wants you to now you know, decide to make a decision on, he says this, I want you to become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed and he says in verse 19, going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, were also in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with, with the hired servants, and they went away to follow them. Now, here's the big idea for today, okay? Here's our big idea. Jesus' followers are made to fish people. That's why we exist. Jesus' followers are made to to fish people. Now, whether you've been, you kind of know that and you've been avoiding it for some time, I, I get that. I get it. Because it's the, the idea of, of being, you know, somebody like that, going out and, you know, sharing your, your faith, it's, it's challenging. It has its difficulty. I get it. I get all that. Especially in today's day and age, in today's culture where, you know, it's just really, everybody sort of believes a lot of different things and people fall into different categories, which we talked about back in week one, where people fall into different categories and they have different beliefs and different philosophies and different ideas. And, and it's not, the, the, um, the idea of, of you kind of sharing your faith is, is sort of intimidating. I get that. But here's the reality. Here's the reality. If you're truly a Jesus follower, you and I are made to fish people. He says, I am calling you to be fishers of men. Now, this wasn't even a, a term that Jesus coined. Jesus didn't come up with this term. As a matter of fact, that, that idea of being a fisher of men was, a, was a, a, a phrase that philosophers used in that day and age. It means to change people's mind or to capture their minds. That's what it sort of means. It means to, like you capture a fish or catch a fish. It means to capture someone's mind. And that's what we're called 
to be, as we're called to do. So when Jesus called these guys, and he says, I want you to follow me, but if you're going to follow me, you need to understand something. That when you follow me, you're going to be, you need to become a fisher of men. You need to become, you need to fish people because Jesus' followers are made to fish people. That's what we're made for. And it's a defining moment for us because you have to decide what you're going to do with that. You have to decide how you're going to live that out. Well, as they were going, Jesus is now wanting to use um, a certain scenario as, a, as an object lesson, I believe, of, of what this looks like. Mar Mark's gospel tells us that they went from left from Galilee, and they're moving into uh, another area, another territory. Jesus is walking. Well, in John chapter 4 is where we sort of see where they went. We, they leave Galilee where, they, where Jesus calls the disciples. They are now on a journey. Well, Jesus now, we, see, we sort of pick it up in the story, you know, in the timeline of where they go. John 4 tells us where they went. John 4, we're going to pick it up in verse number 3 now. John 4, verse 3. And he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he passed through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And it says this. It says that Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So we know that from, from the time when Jesus called his disciples, that he now has gone into, and he decided that he had to. If you go back to uh, those verses, I think it's in verse 3, uh, if, you, if you could. And he went away again into Galilee, verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria. It's interesting how that, why that says that, why John says that. Well, because he had, I believe, a divine appointment. That Jesus was wanting to teach a scenario of what it looks like to, to fish people, to catch the minds of people. And so if you're familiar with church, if you've grown up, grown up in church, you're probably familiar with the story, with the story of the woman at the well, right? Are we familiar with the story of the woman at the well? Jesus encounters this woman at the well, and it says that it was a sixth hour. It tells us that. It means it was sort of the middle of the day is when it was. It was not a common time for women to draw water. Women normally would go and draw water for their household early in the morning. That's when all the women went. Well, this particular woman decided that she was going to go in the sixth hour, which was sort of in the middle of the day, which was sort of an unusual time, probably for the reason of, of avoiding the other women. She just didn't want to be judged. She didn't want to be looked down upon. She just, she just didn't want to be around people. There was a reason for that. The reason for that was because this woman was on man number six in her life. She had five husbands prior to this, and she's now on man number six. She's, not, she's now living with a man who's not her husband, and, uh, and that's number six in her life. And so somewhere along the lines, I don't know how, why she had so many husbands. I mean, men did drop like flies in that culture. Men commonly died at a young age, and so maybe all of her husbands died, and she would remarry. And that maybe that's what happened. We don't really know. Maybe her husband's left her. We don't really know. Well, we, all we know is that she's on now husband, or excuse me, she's on now a man in her life, number six. And, uh, and so she's probably avoiding. She's avoiding the other women. So, so Jesus begins um, with, with this. It says in um, verse number seven, it says, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. 
verse 8, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Verse 9, therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritan, with Samaritans. So here's what's so fascinating about the story, is that Jews and, and Samaritans hated each other. The reason they hated each other was because back in 720 B.C., there was a, a, a group of people uh, who were left from Assyrian captivity back in 720 B.C., and uh, those Assyrians came in and moved into that land, and they started marrying Jews, and so they created, their, uh, they created the Samaritan people, which were sort of half-breeds or half-bloods of Jews. And so they were viewed as unclean. As a matter of fact, you can see in Scripture that um, they would be called, they would refer to as dogs. That's what the Samaritans would refer to as, as like dogs. Um, when, when Jesus, when they wanted to be, when Jesus' enemies wanted to be derogatory to him, when they were wanting to insult him, they would, they called Jesus a Samaritan. It was like this curse word is what they would use it for. So the, they, the dealings with Samaritans were not good. And so here's what's so unusual about this is that here is Jesus, who is a Jewish man, but not only is he a Jewish man, Jesus is a rabbi. And Jesus, as a Jewish man, is, is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. I mean, there's so many layers to this. I mean, first of all, men don't really have a whole lot of dealings with, with other women, especially Jewish men don't have dealings with you know, women, Samaritan women, but not only Jews don't even have dealings with Samaritans at all. I mean, this was a, a scenario that would have been simply, you know, they would have just walked by each other, not, not, looking, not looking at each other. This would have been a scenario that would have been like, like she would have thought, what in the world are these Jewish men in Samaria for? Like, she was probably shocked to see, she probably walked by the other disciples that went into the city to get food. She probably walked by them and thought, well, that was strange. What are these Jews? Because Jews didn't want anything to do with Samaritans and vice versa. And Jews would, would commonly, if they were traveling, they would commonly go out of the way to avoid going into Samaria. They would do that. So Jesus refused to do that. And Jesus said, it says according to John, that he had to go through Samaria. Why did he have to go to, through Samaria? Because he had an appointment with this woman. He had an appointment, and he wanted to teach us today of what it looks like to fish people. Whether they're like us or not like us. Whether we agree with them or not agree with them. Whether we like them or don't like them. Whether we, we think that they're, what they're about is, is what we're about. Whether they're our people or not our people. That is not the point. The point is, is that we have been called as followers of Jesus to fish people. And the first thing that Jesus did, and, what, and if we're going to be like him, which is what I hope our goal is, if we're going to be like him, here's the first thing that Jesus did. Jesus initiated the conversation. Jesus initiated the conversation. Boy, how simple and practical is that for us? We ought to be people, if we're going to really engage in this thing, because as Jesus followers, we're made to, to fish people. As Jesus followers, we're made to be fishers of men. What Jesus did was he initiated the conversation. He started off the conversation. And there was obstacles. But Jesus ignored those obstacles. 
He ignored the fact that, you know, she was a woman. He ignored the fact that she was a Samaritan. He ignored the fact that even though he was the son of God, he knew everything about her. She was, you know, married five times and, and now living with the sixth, sixth guy. You know, like, he ignored all of those obstacles and he still initiated the conversation. He still initiated the conversation of, listen, I want you to know what it means to be connected to God because that's the way that I see you. I don't see you as a Samaritan. I don't see you as a woman. I don't see you as somebody who has been married five times and is now on man number six. I don't look at you in that way. I see you as somebody who needs to be connected to God. And Jesus initiated the conversation despite the obstacles. Despite all of the insecurities, despite all of the uncertainties, despite all of the things that would, would tell you that there's no reason why they would even want to have a conversation with you. Jesus ignored those feelings and he initiated the conversation. For me, um, I have a couple obstacles that I have to overcome for me to initiate conversation with people. What, what, whatever they are, whatever category they fall, whatever race or gender or, or whatever you know, preference or belief, um, there's a couple obstacles that I have to overcome for me personally. And I'm sure that you have obstacles yourself, but here, here are mine. Number one, I, my personality is I'm an introvert. I'm an introvert. That's my personality. Um, um, this is not my ideal. This was not my idea of, of a job when I really, it really wasn't. Like, I, I've never saw myself being somebody that stood in front of people and, and, and said anything. Like, I, I really am. My, my, my bend is I'm, I'm just an introverted person. I'm just that way. It's just who I am. It, it's hard for me. Like, you know, when, I, when somebody calls me, it's like I got to, like, I, you need to answer the phone, Chris. You need to answer the phone. Instead of letting it go to voicemail, you need to answer it. You know, like it's just one of those things that I am. I just fight against certain those certain things. I, I, I just I, I'm I'm more comfortable, you know, being at home, you know, in the dark. You know, I'm just more comfortable in that way. Living, you know, I'm just I just am. So so the idea that I, what I'm doing now is only really the grace of of God. It's really the only the workings of the Holy Spirit. It really is. Um, it's God changing me from the inside out. But that is still, it's still um, an obstacle for me. You know, I still sometimes struggle with that. You know, it's like, I'll, I love you, but don't, but you need to talk to me first kind of a thing. You know, like, I mean, <laughs> this is kind of how it is. You know, it's like, you know how an introvert, you know, you know how an introvert likes you? They look at your shoes and not their own. Like, that's how you know that an introvert, no, okay, all right, all right, so no more jokes, but anyways, um, I have a few more if you want, but I'll save them for later, um, so anyways, that's one of my obstacles, that's for me, so, so Jesus, so when I read this, and I'm going, wait a second, Jesus went out of his way to go into Samaria, a Jewish rabbi man, struck up a conversation with a Samaritan woman. And he initiated that conversation. She didn't initiate that conversation. He did. I got to think, man, boy, that, shouldn't I do that? You know another obstacle that I have? Is that the fact that I'm a pastor. So not only that I'm an introvert, but also that I'm a pastor. So it's another obstacle. Because so, here's what I think sometimes. 
I think it's much easier for you to talk to people than it is for me to talk to people. You know why? You know, here, this is, I know you, you don't think that, you don't believe that, but here's why. Because, of course, I'm supposed to talk to people about Jesus, right? Because I'm a pastor. You know, that's what my job is. My job is to tell people about what I believe and my faith. And so, I, but I look at that in a way that, boy, of course this annoying pastor is going to try to talk to me and strike up a conversation about his faith because that's what his job is. That's what he's supposed to do. That's what he gets paid to do. So I, my insecurities, whether you're right or I'm right, doesn't matter, but we all have insecurities, we all have obstacles that get in the way. You think, well, because you're a pastor, you have a greater opportunity. I think because I'm not, or because you're not a pastor, you have greater opportunity. Because it's more surprising when it comes from you. That people perk up more when it comes from somebody who isn't, you know, paid full-time to be a pastor or, or be in full-time ministry. I think that it has more, carries more weight when you go out and you invite somebody or talk to somebody about your faith. I, I do. That's what I think, but I'm sure that you think the, the opposite. That you're a pastor is what you're supposed to do, and pe pastors, you know, will, people will listen if a pastor talks. Well, these, the point is this. We all have these obstacles. We all do. But because I'm an introvert or because I'm a pastor, doesn't, shouldn't prevent me because it didn't prevent the Son of God to, to initiate a conversation. It didn't prevent the Christ to go out of his way through a territory where most Jews would avoid. To see a woman, to meet a woman, and to initiate a conversation with her. Listen. A defining moment for you and for me is for us to decide, hey, I need to initiate a conversation. Whether I'm uncomfortable or whether they're uncomfortable or not, that's not the point. The point is this. We all have obstacles to overcome. And boy, did they have some barriers. Boy, did they have some obstacles. But it didn't stop Jesus from initiating the conversation. The other thing is this, the other thing is this, Jesus never compromised. Jesus never compromised. He never did. And I don't, you're not expected to either. We're not expected to compromise. We are expected to initiate the conversation, but, and we also are never expected to compromise in that conversation. And Jesus didn't either. Look at what it says in verse 11. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? She says, you are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of, of, of it himself and his sons and his cattle? So here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Jesus never compromised. And when it comes to initiating conversation with people, when it comes to being, to fish people, to be fishers of men, we should never be people where our life is compromised. Go back to verse 11 for me, Reuben. Let me show you something. Here's what really jumped out at me. You have nothing to draw with. In other words, Jesus didn't come with a, with a bucket. He didn't come with something to draw with. Here's what she had. She had her bucket, and she is trying to draw water with her bucket. And here's the reality. We live in a world of people who are thirsty. We live in a world of people who are thirsty. What I mean by that is this, is that people are try, try, trying to draw water the water of so many different things. 
to satisfy them, to quench their thirst. We live in a world of people who are just flat out thirsty. And what we have to offer is living water. And that's what Jesus was trying to help her understand. What I have for you, I don't need a bucket for. I'm the living water. What you and I have is the living water. We, don't, we shouldn't be people who are carrying around our buckets, trying to draw from different wells that will never satisfy. When we are followers of Jesus, we've already got our thirst quenched from him. Right? Are you with me? We got our thirst quenched from him. We don't need to draw from the well of anything that the world has to offer. We shouldn't need to draw from the well of, you know, of, of lust or greed or envy. You know, we don't need to draw from those wells. Our life, our life as Christians, we should have the best relationships. We should have the best marriages. We should be the best with our finances. We should be as Christians, as followers of Jesus. And we should work harder. Why? Because we work for the Lord. We should be the most people that are most loving. We should be people that are most generous. We should be people that are most patient. We should be the most humble people that we experience in our workplaces, in our schools, or where we go on during our, during our life, at a time in our life. Listen, we ought to be people that are the best. Why? Because we believe that the principles of Christianity teach that it's, we're better off. And here, here's what I'll say about that, okay? As a Christian, as a Christian, I don't think I'm better than anyone. And as a Christian, you and I, sh you shouldn't think so either. As a Christian, I don't think that I'm better than anyone. I just know I'm better off as a Christian. Like, you know that, right? Like, the principles of God's word, what God teaches us, is so that we can be better off than we, than we are outside of God. That we live in a world of people that are thirsty. And so because we live in a world of people that are thirsty, what we have is living water to give. What she had was a bucket to draw from a well of life that would never satisfy. And that's what she said, or that's what Jesus said to her. You keep drawing from this well, you'll continue to be thirsty. You'll keep coming back to this well, 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 and it will never satisfy you. We ought to be people that never compromise. That people look at our lives and say, there's something different. There's something different. They're more loving. They're more generous. They're more patient. They're more humble. Their relationships seem to work better. They seem to be happier in their marriages. Their kids seem to be a little bit more well-adjusted. Though that deba is debatable. But the point is this is that we've been called to fish men. And Jesus came to that well without a bucket. Without a bucket. And she had one. And the difference between her and him was this. She needed a bucket because she thought that what the world could do was satisfy. And Jesus said, I'm the one that has living water. 
what you and I have as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, what you and I have is we have the living water. And we don't need a bucket. You don't need a bucket. You have Jesus. You don't need a better relationship. You have Jesus. You don't need to find something else in this life that will make you more satisfied, more money or more things. You have Jesus. And that ought to be the difference. That ought to be something that people recognize in our life. And Jesus showed her, you don't need that bucket. As a matter of fact, when she left Jesus, you know what she left behind? Her bucket. She didn't need it. Why? Because she had Jesus. She had Jesus. The last point is this. So, we're called to be fishers of men. That's what we're called to do. It's what we're made to do. It's what he's making us into. It's a process. Jesus initiated the conversation with obstacles. You're going to have obstacles. You've got to overcome them. Jesus never compromised. We shouldn't compromise either. They should look at our lives and see that there is a difference. Why? Because there should be. There should be based on the principles of his word. But the last thing is that Jesus established common ground. He established common ground with her, meaning that he was willing to find some sort of common ground to establish relationship for him to be able to share truth in her life. For us, that needs to be the same, that we need to learn how to establish common ground with people that may not be like you, they may be different than you, they may fall in a different category of, of philosophies or ideas or, or beliefs. But we need to learn how to establish common ground with them. It says in John 4, 6, and Jesus well was there, so Jesus being wearied from his journey. Now, what does that mean? It means that Jesus was tired. You know how Jesus, there's two, two things, that two barriers that God overcame. It was the human barrier and it was the sin barrier. There was two things that, that, he, that, that he overcame in order for, to establish common ground with us. One is this, is that he, there's a human barrier. It says that Jesus was wearied, which meant that Jesus felt what humans feel. Listen, for us to be able to reach people, we need to find common ground with people. And, there, and we can find it. We can find it in a, in a human, uh, in, in, in two ways, in two ways. A human longing, a human longing. You know that every single person feels the sense of that there's something more every person it doesn't matter what they believe or what they look like or how they you know carry about themselves in life listen it doesn't matter every human being has a longing for something more every human being and every human being has a moral conscience people know for the most part what is right and what is wrong these are opportunities for us to establish some common ground. And we need to learn to speak their language. We need to learn to address areas in, 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 our, in our lives and in their lives where we can find a common ground to establish that common ground so that we can have an opportunity to share truth and love with them. Jesus initiated the conversation. Jesus never compromised. Never compromised. And Jesus established common ground. And the way that he did that is he touched on the human longing and he touched on the moral conscience. And these are the things that we should touch on. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 22 says this, and I'll end here. Here's what he says. For though I am free from all men, I've made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. 
To the Jew, I became as a Jew, to, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I, become, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I, so that I may by all means save some. Here's what Paul says. I found common ground. Whether it was a Jew or a Gentile, whether it was somebody weak or somebody strong, whether they're under the law or not under the law, he says, I became all things to all men so that I can save some. Jesus' followers are made to fish people. And what Jesus did with this woman at the well is he initiated the conversation despite the obstacles. You got obstacles, so do I. But you got to initiate the conversation. Number two, Jesus did not compromise. He did not compromise, nor should you. And there should be a difference in us than what they see in their own life. And number three, Jesus established common ground. He established common ground. He connected with her humanity, and he connected with her human longing for something more. He gave her the answer to that, and it's Jesus. The only thing that quenches the thirst of humanity is Jesus. He's the only one. He connected with her moral conscience. And he helped her to realize that all of us are sinners and all of us fall short. But he has for us a gift named his son Jesus. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are made, you are called to fish people. That's what you do. How we do it? I don't know. Try to initiate some conversations. Live a life of, that you don't, you don't live in and compromise. Let people see the difference in you. And establish common ground with all people. That's what Jesus did here in this story. God, um, Lord, we thanks, thank you for the opportunity to share. Thank you for your word. Lord, I just ask him, Lord, that you'll just help us realize that um, we have a, a defining moment here and now of deciding that what we need to do with this relationship that we have with you and what you're making us and developing us and in this process with you for, Lord, is just of making disciples and, and being fishers of men and women to fish people. That's what you've called us to do. And I pray, Lord, that we begin to do this and embrace this, initiating conversations, wh whatever the obstacles may be, we're still initiating conversations. We're living a life of, of just of moral and, and, and biblical principles so that we're not compromising, so that we're not blending in with everybody else, and that we're establishing common ground with people. We're connecting with them, their human longing. We're connecting with their moral conscience. And we're just learning to speak their language. We're becoming what we need to become in order for us to be able to win and to save some. I pray, Lord, that's what we understand today. We walk away here knowing that there's a, a mission that you've called us to. And I pray that you bless it and use it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, everybody. Good to see you.